Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. March 5th, 2020. Nanaimo, British Columbia. I am pleased to welcome Nanaimo, British Columbia, and Sir Oxman Stadium to play host to the 13th team in the West Coast League. Nanaimo Baseball, from the coal mines of Douglas in East Wellington, to number six in Jingle Pot, from Departure Bay to Nanaimo Harbor, Gabriola. Wellington, Cassidy, and Extension. This is their story. This is Cobalt. Everybody, to another inning, inning number 11. That's right. We are in extra innings because what's a good baseball game like without ha- not having some extra innings? Because you know that you're in it, the game's going and it's hot, and you got a lot of great stuff happening. And just like a baseball game, Cobalt is living, it's a living, breathing document. And This inning is no different than any of the others. We got an amazing guest, and that person joining us has an amazing background. I mean, I've I've spent time looking at their background, researching their background, and needless to say, this is one of these coaches that is bringing this team some great experience. And if I was a young athlete coming to play in Nanaimo, this summer in 2022, in the inaugural season for the Nanaimo Night Owls, I would want 
to be playing for this coach with this background. So I think I've talked it up enough. But without further ado, we have the pitching coach for the inaugural season and your Nanaimo Night Owls, Gorman Heimuller. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ben. I, I hope that uh, with the extra innings, I hope we're not starting with a ghost runner at second. I hope it's just a clean inning. <laughs> you know, it's not. We're not. We're not doing major league baseball rules. We're not starting with a ghost runner, though. I mean, I remember back in the day, probably like you, where you know, out playing on the yard with your friends and not have enough players, and you had your own ghost runners, anyways. Yeah. So. <laughs> And, you know, they'd started it in the minor leagues, and I wasn't a big fan of it. But I think in the minor leagues, with, you know, the, the moves you have to make when you have a long inning game, it, it does create a lot of moves. But I, I definitely in the major leagues would like to see it go back to yeah. playing extra innings. Exactly. I would, too. But, Coach, appreciate you joining us for this inning of Cole Ball. It's been a great series. Thanks. A great history of Nanaimo. I absolutely have been to the place. I'm looking forward to getting up there this summer. But I've absolutely fallen in love uh, with the city of Nanaimo and the people that are there. And can't wait to get there. But you're going to be there. You're going to be strong. You're going to be going. But to get there, we need to tell your history, your past, the things that you've done. And it's not only a player, but also as a coach. Um, you're from Los Angeles, California. You went to St. Bernard High School. Um, you started off playing baseball, I think, uh, in Little League um, for your father, Gorman Sr. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Like, where did you get this love for baseball? You've, you've done your homework. That's pretty good. Uh, um, yeah, I grew up in L.A. My dad was my uh, my coach from the time I was nine in Little League. And back then, you couldn't even play any Little League till you were nine years old. From nine till I was 16, uh, he was born and raised in St. Louis, a big St. Louis Browns fan, and uh, just loved baseball. And and he was left-handed. I'm left-handed. Uh, it's just something that I, I, from as long as I can remember, just fall in love with the game. And, and, and looking back on it, I just feel so uh, blessed and lucky they got my dad to to, to be my coach for that many years. It was a, it mm -hmm. was a lot of fun. Might've been some days when I was younger where I might not have loved it that much, but when after it was all said and done, I was, I'm so happy that we were able to do it. What did you, I mean, you obviously went in the went to some games with your dad. Um, what was that experience like? Was he like walking you through the plays kind of talking to you about it? Or were you just kind of sitting there enjoying the game and just having a great time being with your pops? Well, I think everything you just said, the, the first, you know, we used to uh, pick pick Dodger games out in February, trying to hit almost every every team. Uh, one memory is probably 1963 when I was about eight, not even eight years old yet. And he took me, he was, like I said, from St. Louis, and that was Stan Musial's last year. And so I remember sitting way high up and him, him showing me this Stan Musial. I, I can picture his stance as a little kid to this day. And and how cool that was. And then and after that, uh, going down to on the field boxes, watching the Dodgers play. And, and at that time, when I was 10, 11 years old, Sandy Koufax was my, you know, it was either Koufax God, Koufax God. I wasn't sure who was hiring who at that time. He was, <laughs> he was like, he was just, uh, I mean, I just lived to watch him pitch. And I got a chance to see him pitch live a number of times when I was younger. And those memories are things, you know, I can't remember what I 
had for lunch yesterday, but I can remember some of those things 40, 50 years ago, like it was yesterday. Let me guess. You imitated Sandy Koufax when you played either uh, in Little League or kind of with your buddies. No question about it. And, you know, I'm six foot four. And when I was probably 12 years old, I was probably six one. I was taller than anybody else. And they didn't have a you know uniform to fit me, so they got me a oh my own uniform. And, I, and numbers went from one to sixteen. I had number thirty-two. <laughs> That's so great. I did, you know, I did the, try to imitate him, no doubt. Yeah, the, the reason why I say that is every every person who is really involved with baseball that much has that one player or two that they imitate. And for me, it was it was Greg Maddox because well, that's not, who like I mean that's who I grew up just loving like when i could understand the game of baseball and comprehend it and see what fraction was it was greg maddox for me no question i, I you know i loved watching him pitch uh he pitched and and then with the phillies when i was with the phillies as a coordinator jamie moyer was there and and he, okay. was, he was kind of the left-handed maddox in the way he pitched and uh, i you know and i was I mean, I never got drafted and I couldn't break a pane of glass in my fastball. So I didn't, you know, I had to basically trick them and, and change speeds and locate my fastball. So, uh, so yeah, Maddox is, I mean, if, if a young pitcher doesn't just want to model himself after Maddox or something wrong. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about your dad because I want to focus a little bit of time, a little bit more time on your dad. So your dad was a coach. What, what else did he do professionally? Like what was his, what was his background? Well, he, he, but he played high school. Then he got sick in St. Louis. The war came. He's also a musician, very good piano player. Uh, uh, then worked in. He's actually during the war. He was uh, uh, assistant manager at Robbins Chinese Theater and in Hollywood. And then he got into sales when when I was born and 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 uh, you know supported us. But he was always there for me, baseball wise. I mean he. You know, he he never he always watched my games. Uh, I remember when I got called to the big leagues. He and there was no cell phones back then, but he it was in Baltimore. And he had a fr- he had a friend that was was in Baltimore, so he had an open phone line during the whole game, so he could listen to the game and just total uh, total. Uh, I mean, like me, baseball junkie, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But but in my recollection, I never remember him ever pushing me or or uh, you know making me do so I, I loved it and and the fact he was there was great what's um everybody's got a some a leadership kind of quality that they learn from like their parents and for me for example one of the leadership qualities that i learned from my dad was like look like take a step back let them learn on their own and develop as a human while providing some insight, some information, if you they come to you asking those questions. And it's, so it's something that like from my dad that I've learned and that I'm carrying on to this day with my own two children. So what's some sort of leadership quality that you learned from your dad from the time, it, you know, playing baseball or outside of baseball? Well, the biggest thing I learned was, you know, treating everybody equally. He would, uh, you know, he was very, I mean, every, you know, it's my dad, so I'm, I'm pretty biased, but I don't remember. I mean, I, he was very likable. Uh, he, he would have an opinion, but he would listen to your opinion. And, and, and the thing that I learned was just not, you know, to always treat somebody that the way you want to be treated. 
And it's something I've tried to carry on through my career. You know, I, I've never ever, whether it's working with 10 year olds or these college kids or pros, I never wanted to ever have the, me being up here and them down, being down there. I always want to try to talk to them on an even, you know, even level. And, and he was really good at that. Mm-hmm. So in, in high school, you know, you, you obviously you played baseball. Did you, were you, was it varsity that that time or like how, how was, how did your baseball career go in high school? In, in high school, I was a good, I mean, I was good hitter. I liked to hit and I could pitch, but I was never really possessed a, a really good fastball, but I always, I was able to change speeds. I always, you know, I always seemed to be successful more than I wasn't. And I wasn't successful a lot, but, but it's, I, I, from the early on and I can remember I, the one thing I do love and, and that's something I think you have to be, if you're going to, if you're going to play for a while is the love, the love to compete. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're going to win every time, but that, that, that desire to want to go out there. And when the game starts, you're, your feeling is you're going to go out there and be successful. And it's something that, uh, I think it, I think it's helped me in my career. I think, you know, I was told by, told by many people I wasn't good enough. In fact, in high school, my senior year, you know, I went to a Catholic high school and we had to, uh, to write out our vocation, what we got to do when we grow up. And so, uh, I put baseball player in. So the, the, the sister that was the, the nun that was a teacher, you know, the class was over and she goes, uh, she called my name out. You stay after class and you talk to you. And so, you know, she sits me down. She goes, I know this is what you want to be, but you got to be more realistic than this. She goes, this is not something that's going to happen. You got, I want you to pick something that you want to, you know, you really think that is very doable. And I just said, well, I, I want to be a baseball player. That's something I've always, my whole life. And so, you know, Sister Patricia, wherever you are, 45 years later, here I am still doing it. <laughs> there you go. Um, at what point was pitching like your kind of passion? Like what point or is it like you decided like, okay, pitching's pitching's definitely the air, one area where I want to focus primarily on? Well, I, I think, and I think like with a lot of kids that, that, and I, I big, Believer, if a guy can hit and pitch, you do you do both in high school. Man, when it got to the chance to go to college, I mean, I knew my I knew my ability as a hitter. I could I could hit the ball, somewhat power, but couldn't run. And I knew as a left-handed pitcher, my my competition is cut by sixty <laughs> percent. And so I figured I just looked, I thought that would be the best path to maybe playing college, definitely and. And always having that dream to maybe get a chance to play professional baseball. So that's that was kind of dictated by the by the recruiting coach that, that asked me to you know to eventually go into Cal Poly and uh, and it turned out to be the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to I like to ask a lot of people that I interview this particular question, especially with somebody that has your level of experience, either as a player and as a coach. Um, if you could go back and tell your younger high school college player something that you would have done a little differently, whether it be preparation through playing different sports, uh, maybe focusing on a little education, not saying that you had a problem with education, but focusing, just focusing on something specifically, what would it be and why? I mean, I mean going back to myself and, and yeah. doing it? Well, I mean, for, and this is not something I'm proud of, but 
when you go back to education, you know, back then you had to have a, a, a C average to play sports. My parents upped that to a B average. Um, and the, and the, looking back on it now, it's totally wrong. I, I was, you know, I was young and stupid, but in baseball, I wanted to be the absolute best. And I worked my butt off to try and be the best I could be where back in high school, if, if I could get a B and not work that hard, I was okay with that. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. if I, if going back, if I do, I were going to, I'd have tried to have the same ethic I had as a baseball player into my student. And I, I think I would have been capable of, I do, I do know I was capable of doing, you know, getting more A's and being, being a, a lot better. I wasn't a bad student, but I was, I would, I would settle for a B without, mm-hmm. you know, putting a lot of effort into it. And, in a lot of the classes, that was the way it was. And, and back then, it's okay. Well, I got my B. I'm, I'm better than average. I'm okay with that. But I wanted to be the best on the baseball field. I just wish I'd have had that same that same ethic. Okay. So you'd like to have what your, your work ethic on the, the field translate over into the classroom. Yeah. If, I had, if I had a chance to go back again. But yeah, yeah. I can't. And then I get to college and you realize, oh, man, I can't, I can't do what I did in high school and be able to survive. I got I to apply it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You, you end up going to Cal Poly. Um, what made you choose Cal Poly? They, they offered me a scholarship. <laughs> I went to, uh, I, I had, and that wasn't, you know, today's world, you know, because I work with a lot of kids and you get kids that are sophomores in high school uh, committing to a school, which I think is kind of funny when you don't even know how these kids going to develop. But it wasn't until after my senior year, I was, I was really planning on going to junior college. And I was playing a Babe Ruth game and, and the coach from Cal Poly saw me. Uh, we had, took a trip up there in the summertime. I loved the area and, and the fact that they wanted me. And I, I had a, a partial scholarship the first year, then a full scholarship the next three years. Yeah. Saw that you played with Ozzie Smith there for a little bit. Well, all four years. We were like, yeah. we, came, we came the same time. And uh, uh, I tell people that was the highlight of my college careers. He obviously missed my short set. One thing I did, but he was, he was, uh, he was unbelievable. As, as great a player as he is, he was that good a guy. And does uh, he doing his backflips in college too? Yes, he was. And, and a great trivia question. And I, I don't have anything to back it up, but I, his, his high school teammate for four years was Eddie Murray. Oh, and, wow. And I got to believe that there hasn't been a time where you've had two high school players on the same year be hall of famers on the same team yeah especially with eddie murray jeez oh my god ed ozzy smith amazing I know. Oh. yeah um so what was your <clears throat> talk a little bit about what your experience was like at cal poly because i know kind of towards the end you didn't get some advice from your coach that you were hoping to get <laughs> well yeah you've read that article there's a couple of articles i've talked about that but uh, yeah you know, and, and the funny part about it is, you know, after my senior year, I got, I, I took a line drive in, during batting practice. It put me out for about a month. And then at the end of the year, I just, we were in playoffs. I just didn't pitch that much. And I asked my coach if I could uh, have a chance to play pro ball. And he had played pro ball and he just said, no, he just flat out said no. And the only, and the only, you know, uh, pro baseball I could see was the Dodgers and Angels in LA. I didn't know any minor league, minor league. Uh, team so so yeah he that was that 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 fueled me a little bit to to want to really have a chance but I go but I didn't you know I go maybe maybe I'm not good enough 
And, and in, in the meantime, in my first three years in college, I'd go up to Canada and play in the summertime. Kind of it's similar to what the Nanaimo League is, except it wasn't an all-college league. You, there were, we had four, Ameri- four college players mm-hmm. around a bunch of farmers and hockey players. And it was a Saskatchewan major baseball league. And uh, Was it like uh, barnstorming kind of? Um, it was a league. It was an actual league. In fact, Jim okay. Swanson, Jim Swanson played for the coach that was in the league in Saskatoon. Was the coach of Saskatoon when I was playing in there? Oh, and, really? Yeah, and uh, and so I spent. And it was fun because I not only pitched, but I got to play the outfield and hit. And it was it was it was a blast. And so so I did that for three years. And so after my senior year, I didn't get a you know didn't get drafted. But I had to go chance to go play in Alberta, Red Deer, Alberta, which is like in between Calgary and Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, you know what? I'll this be my last hurrah. I'll go up there, have a good time. And 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 the the, the biggest thing was uh, back in Calgary. Then they had, Calgary was a rookie ball team. I think it was might have been the Cardinals. I'm not not positive, but anyway, we had a night off, and it was eight, about eighty miles to Calgary, and a bunch of us went and saw this rookie ball game, which I'd never been to before. And I'm watching it. I'm going to myself. I'm going, you know, I may not be able to pitch the big leagues, but I know I can pitch this right here. And that kind of gave me a little, little uh, bug to try and get, trying to get looked at. And, you know, to make this long story a little shorter, I got a chance to, uh, I beat this team in Rapid City, South Dakota in a tournament in Canada. And they asked me to go pitch for them in the NBC tournament in Wichita, mm-hmm. which is a big thing where people could see me. And, and right before that, I got a tryout in Calgary for the Giants, San Francisco Giants, a guy, a bird dog scout in Red Deer gave my name. So I went down there and threw for him. And the guy said, you know, you look good, but we got, uh, it's, we only got three weeks left. There's no room right now, but give me your name and number. I'll get, get you to spring training in 1978. This is 77. And so now I'm getting ready to go, uh, to go play for the Rapid City team. And the guy goes, go, go book your flight in Calgary and then meet us in, in Wichita. So I went to do that. All the, all the airlines were on strike in Canada. And so I'm like, God, this is my only chance. I'm, and I, was, I wasn't very smart. I looked at a map and I got my baseball bag, my backpack, and I hitchhiked 500 miles from, from Red Deer, Alberta to uh, Great Falls, Montana. Again, long story. That was, I would never advise that. That's, I, had, <laughs> I, had, I, had, I had my guardian angel looking after me, but I had a. So now I, I, I get to the, through all that, I get to the Denver airport, getting ready for my my plane to, to Wichita and all of a sudden my name comes over the white phone and, or because Gorman Heimler comes to the white phone, I pick it up and they go, call your father immediately. And I'm like, you know, somebody died. And so I, when I do this, tell a story to the kids, I said, back then you had, you used to put coins into this device and you press buttons. You can make a phone call that way. They have, they have no idea what that is. So my dad said, somebody at Candlestick Park was looking for you. So I called Candlestick Park and they said, Hey, we, we got these reports on you. We had a pitcher get hurt last night in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. If you'd be there tomorrow. I said, sure. I had no idea how I was getting there. I go, sure. So I get, I get to, uh, to Wichita and the team that flew me there. And I tell them the story and they go, man, that's, that's, that's why you're here. And they flew me there. And it's like, it's right out of Bull Durham. I mean, I'm sitting in this empty locker room waiting for the team to come back. And I'm like, are you, you know, the GM picked me up and he bought me a hamburger. That was my bonus for signing this GM bought me. a hamburger. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so that was, that was Paul Molitor's rookie year. Cause we played them in the playoffs and, uh, yeah, so that that's how I got that's how I got my first uh, contract, and then I in 1978 go to spring training with the Giants, and a week in the spring training they traded for Vita Blue and got and traded a bunch of prospects. So 
next thing I know, I'm in a double A roster and I made a double A team my first year. And, and mm-hmm. then that's, that's how my, my career started. Now you also have an interesting thing that first year, I think if I'm correctly based on my research, a uh, manager by the name of Frank Robinson helped teach you uh, a pickoff move. If I'm correct from what I well, read. It's fairly close, fairly close. What happened was, um, I mean, that was always a weapon for me. I always had a good pickup. Something I learned from my dad before I could even have started to go to a stretch and something I picked up and it was, it was a weapon. I mean, I, you know, my, that first full year in 78, I think I picked off 27 guys in as a reliever. I mean, I had, I had a win and a save without throwing a pitch that year because I just come in and pick somebody off, which showed you how many base runners I had. I had a lot of practice and, uh, but no, but so that's so in 78, 79. So I had a reputation for having a good move. So 1981 comes, yeah, good year, 1980. So spring training, 81, Frank Robinson's the manager. So I get a call and Jimmy Lefevre was, was uh, one of his coaches. And I knew Jimmy from when I was, when I was like nine years old, he had a camp in Catalina Island I used, that I went to. And, but I, you know, they, they were inviting me to big league camp, but after I was there a while, yeah, they invited me to big league camp, which was great. But I think they also there because they wanted me to see if I could help other left-handers with their move. And so Frank Robinson, you know, he, and he was, he was great to me, had me out there with all the lefties and, you know, they had Gal Holland, uh, Gary Lavelle, Vita Blue, all trying to work on the move. And, and to me, it's not every left hand is going to have a good move. I mean, my, my delivery is little, you wouldn't teach my delivery. It was more deceptive than really, picture perfect um but that that's that's the story behind frank robinson uh and one i think that's one of the reasons they, they brought me to camp which i didn't know that at the time but mm-hmm. but it was just still kind of cool they did and then they sent me down uh after i got, I got into the game did well they sent me down to triple a which i thought i was going to be at then they released me after my first start and then i went around looking for for other other clubs you, from what I was reading, you were a little shocked that you were, were released so soon following spring trading. That's, you know, I mean, it's, I, I was released after that by a team, which I expected. This was, this just blew me away. I mean, I was devastated. I, I had no idea. In fact, this, the, the farm director's name was Jack Schwartz. He was probably 75 then. And so I go in there, I mean, the guy, Rocky Bridges was the manager and he, he goes, you know, go see, go see Jack. And I knew right away what it was when he said that. And so he had my plane ticket right there. And I just said, you know, explain how we know about enough room. And I said, well, I handed him my plane ticket. I said, can you give me the money, please? So I'm going to, I'm going to look around for other teams. And I think, I think I can still pitch. And he looked at me, he goes, yeah, he goes, it's too bad. He goes, we just have too many right-handers. And so I looked at him. And I said, just give me the money. Oh, by the way, I'm left-handed. So he didn't, he didn't know I was left-handed when I got released. And, <laughs> and, and then, then, and then uh, Doyle Alexander and, and uh, Greg Minton were really, I mean, everybody, all of, I meeting those guys is great, Vita Blue. But I stayed with uh, uh, Greg Minton until I got a job, went around to all the camps, went to the A's a couple of times. And what turned out was the, I, I saw a guy in, in, at the A's office and we looked at each other and like we knew each other. And it was the coach of that Rapid City team that wanted me to pitch for him years ago. And he goes, what are you doing? I go, I just, you know, I just got released from the Giants with Big League Camp. Well, he knew the pitching coach from the Giants. He called. And he goes, hey, I got, good, I got good reports. You didn't know you got released. 
blah, blah, blah. And so I get a try, I get a tryout. They, they throw me in a game the day before spring training was over at double A and I, I pitched well and they sent me to West Haven, Connecticut and had a really good year there. 82 was just a so-so year, went to 83 and that's where I got a chance to go to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you make your, well, you played West Haven for the West Haven A's. And then you went out to Tacoma, Washington and played for the Tacoma Tigers, who are now the Tacoma Rainiers. Right. Um, said you had a pretty good, pretty good time that time. You posted a career high 12 wins with a 2.73 ERA. So you did really, really well. Um, you know, going and playing in the Pacific Northwest, and then, you know, now you're going to be in Southwest Canada. I mean, it's pretty much similar climate in ways. Um, what was it like for your, for playing in, in in just south of Seattle when you played for Tacoma? Oh, it was well. It, it was this for me. It was just AAA. It was it was getting getting to the next level, and the next level was big leagues. And mm-hmm. and you'd you'd like this. My my second start. I started up in uh, in Edmonton. Was my first start, and then I started against Portland, the Beavers in Portland, and the opposing pitcher was Louis Tion, and Willie Horton was a DH. And, uh, it was, it was because back then, um, it's part before your time, but there was a show called Laverne Shirley mm-hmm. and, and one of the actors in there was part, was a GM or part owner of the Portland Beavers back then. And, and he brought, in fact, they even had a, they had a, a happy day softball game there where I got a picture of the Fonz and Ron Howard and all that stuff. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was fun. That's really cool. And that's at, uh, well, they used to call it PGE Park, now it's Providence Park. And, uh, but it was a Multnomah County Civic Stadium at the yeah, time, Civic, I believe Civic it was. Stadium. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's been interesting. I did a whole <clears throat> series on that, that particular stadium. And, and, you know, prior to that was, uh, Vaughn Street. Um, that's probably one of the, Looking at the history of baseball in Portland, it's probably one of the places that would have been kind of cool to go see um, when it was around. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It was going after a game. Well, coaching there, especially, it was as a player. But it was. It was the downtown area was great. It was, it was yeah. a great around. Um. So you made your major league debut in '83 in July. Um. Saw that you, if this is correct, struck out Cal Ripken Jr in your first inning of your first start. Yeah, I was, um, well, you know, I was pitching, I was pitching the day before in Tacoma against the Dodgers. In fact, I was on the, I was on the the training table, getting my arm rubbed down, get ready to go warm up. And the manager comes in and says, Hey, you're not pitching tonight. You're going to pitch tomorrow. I go, why? He goes, you're pitching tomorrow in Baltimore. So this is like six o'clock. I'm on a, I'm on a red eye by 11 to get to Baltimore and to pitch that night and they didn't even know that at that time Mike Norris was one of the pitchers and, and he came up sore it was, it was real sudden the timing of it I mean if I was if I had pitched the day before I would never got a shot and uh and and then when I got up there they they didn't have enough uh letters to spell my name so my name was spelled wrong the whole rest of the road trip and I said, oh really yeah, I, said, I said i don't care i've been waiting for this for you know eight years you can spell it wrong the whole time and they only had threes and ones left so i was number 13 my name spelled wrong and i was loving every minute of it do you have a is there a picture of that hanging around somewhere? i do oh that is awesome yeah. i'd love to see that yeah uh, 
got on my phone. I'll show it to you when you're when we're up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, but you had uh, going, you had your first start, but then going into your second start, I think from what again from what I read, um, according to your father, it was probably one of his proudest moments. Um, you had a you had your shutout. You struck out Rod Carew and Reggie Jackson. That was that was later on. My second start was in Boston, right after the the Baltimore game. Okay. And then the and then the uh, the Baltimore game. It was actually I went into the the bottom of the eighth, losing one nothing, and and the only run was first and third, one out, and just a two hopper to shortstop, and he couldn't decide whether he should have just just gone to the bag and threw him out, and he hesitated. He got to the bag and threw it into the stands, so the run the run counted as it was earned. But but now I get to the bottom of the eighth, and I had. Cal Ripken on first and Eddie Murray up, Eddie Murray up and he hit, I mean, I threw him and I threw a screwball. That's what gave me a chance. And so he, he missed some, I made him look really bad, had two strikes. And he just fouled one off another screwball. And then Mike Heath, the catcher says, come to the fast line. Well, that's, that's a good idea. And didn't quite get it in enough. And it, it wasn't the longest home run I ever gave up, but it was the fastest one. <laughs> yeah. So I had Cal, had Cal Ripken, chase, he chased a screwball about, a foot off outside for my first strikeout. And, um, and then two years later in 85, I was in Baltimore's camp and actually went out with a buddy of mine and, and Billy Ripken and Cal Ripken. And, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, it, you know, they never, they didn't see, they never seen me before and I had the advantage and, and he chased one, but, uh, it was just a dream come true getting the opportunity. But the game you're talking about was probably a month later and it was in Oakland hmm. and my dad, my dad made a, made a uh, so-called business trip to go up there and see it. And, and yeah, to, to lead off the game, I struck out Rod Carew and there's only one way I can strike out Rod Carew because he's not, he's not going to swing and miss. Yeah. He's got too good. He's I got too good an eye to take a, a third called strike. So how do you think I struck him out? Hmm. I don't know, man. That guy's hard to strike out. He, he is leading off the game. He tried to bunt the third strike and fouled it off. Oh, no way. So when, when that happened, I'm like, oh, this might be an omen right here. Wow. <laughs> and, so, and so that's how I struck him out. Then I did get Reggie twice on, on screwballs in the dirt, getting ahead of him. Um, I mean, that lineup was, I mean, Doug DeSensei's was a third. Bobby Gritch was a second. Fred Lynn was in center. Brian Downing was DH. Bob Boone was a catcher. Uh, it was a good lineup, really good lineup. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I just, I mean, I, I bet I threw under a hundred pitches. And th- the thing is today, you know, I had two complete games and I had uh, one in the eighth inning, the Yankees, I got to the seventh twins. I got to the seventh and today I probably wouldn't even get past the four or fifth. Mm. And, but back then, if you're, if, you know, the manager, they, they didn't have all, all this information. If his eyes, you know, told him that you were throwing good, he left you in there. Yeah. So, how I mean, like, were you a little bit intimidated playing against some of these really, really good ball players, or were you just like, whatever? I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going to kill it. You know what? Probably more of that right there. I was probably too stupid to be intimidated. Um, it was like I felt like I was playing with house money. I mean, I was wasn't supposed, you know, nobody they were told me I couldn't do it and. Just, I mean, yeah, was, was I nervous? Sure. Uh, 
But looking back on it, it was an excited nervous. I wanted, you know, I got, I got here. What's, you know, what's the worst thing going to happen? I don't, I'm not successful, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm like, like when I pitch in Yankee stadium, I remember turning around, look, looking at seeing the monuments there and, and getting, and getting able to, uh, you know, pitch against Dave Winfield and that was Manny's rookie year and Billy Martin was the manager and if who, who he was the manager with the A's my, in spring training A2 when I was there. Yeah. So Jacob Kornheiser writes this book called A Cup of Coffee Club. And I know that there was a, a piece mentioned in an, another different article that I read and, and you felt, you felt like you were beyond that coffee cup cup of coffee club because you had gotten a little bit more time um in the majors than some of those those guys that they talk about in that book but my point that i'm getting to is that it it clearly probably went by pretty quickly for you but the experiences alone that you had there um you know what's what's your biggest takeaway from that time when you played Perfect played in the majors. Like, what's the biggest takeaway from you at that point? And what was you probably your most memorable experience other well, than the big the, strikeouts? The um, you know, and I and I, and I tell, when I was coaching, I would tell, and I think it's that way every level. If I get the A ball, you want to get the double A, and you think you can pitch in double A, but until you get that first out, you're really not sure. And then you're in double A, you want to get the triple A and you think you pitch there, but until you get that opportunity to do it, you're not really sure. Well, for me, what the biggest takeaway was that I could compete there without question. I could compete there. And, you know, and, and I've, I've kidded around a lot. I've used this where, you know, I, I didn't ever feel I had a cup of coffee. I had a thermos of coffee because I had a little more, you know, a little more time than yeah. that. But, but, uh, and then the biggest, the biggest memory still goes back just getting there is a dream come true. But going back to that game where my dad flew up and after the game was over, when I shut out the angels, I'm walking in the locker room and saw a security guard there. I said, my dad is here and he's waiting for, can you, can he come down to the locker room? And he goes, uh, I'll go get him. So I go to my locker and I had all these microphones in my face talking to me and stuff. And I'm talking about the game. All of a sudden I look and there's my dad watching me. And that is Without question, I'll, I'll never forget that, you know, as long as I live. That was, and then we, I remember we went out, we were, I stayed at the hotel in Oakland and we went out, you know, went out to the bar there afterwards and a lot of players, and co- I'm introducing some players and coaches and it was just a proud moment for him. And, and, uh, but that look that, you know, it was pretty cool. That, that's, that's the thing that, that my most, mem- I mean, getting, you know, performing and doing well. It's some things I'll never forget. And I've got, you know, I got to keep some of the videos, but that moment that got to share with my dad was probably the, the best. I'm sure he gave you a big hug yeah. and probably told you how proud he was yeah. of you, but beyond it being proud, um, if you don't mind sharing any, if you can remember what were, what were some words that he said to you? Like after that, when you just, um, some- I mean, I remember him saying, you know, I always knew you could do it. Probably, probably one thing I remember. Um, and that he was proud and, you know, and you could tell. And then, and then when I got to coaching, this is before he, he had a stroke when he was 72 or 73, but he came up and saw me when I was coaching at Visalia and we played catch on the field. He was 70 and it's like we used to when we were, we were, uh, from time, you know, he used to go batting practice to me and he used to catch me until I was about 
I'll never forget it. I, I, I bounced one and it hit him and that's it. I'm done. And I was probably about 15, 15. And, and that's about the time I quit catching kids too. I so said, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting down here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, uh, what is it? Uh, just a quick funny story. I remember, and I said this many of times, I remember one time, you know, I was out playing my last time, my brother caught for me because my dad never really did, but my dad was sitting in the living room and we were playing catch and we we're out behind the house and I threw the ball and it went right through the window and it landed like right by my dad. He was so pissed. <laughs> oh, I broke many a window. Yeah. yeah. In the garage, so, you put a piece of wood on it. I'm tired of pricing the window. We're not. We're not <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that, that's a great experience being able to like go out on a, you know, the field and, at a later age for your dad and, and play catch with them. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's a very memorable experience. Um, did you give him the ball afterwards so you could take it home with him? Yeah. You know, he had a collection and, um, and then when he had his, he had his stroke, he was still very, I mean, he was alert. He had a hard time expressing it, but I gave him, um, I got my first year coach was 87 when the twins won a world series. So I got a world series ring. So I gave that to him and he wore it every single day until he passed away. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading that it, you know, you had given your dad, um, your, your world series ring. And I'm sure he was like, look at this, look at this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was pretty pumped about it. Um, well, you had, was it in late 83? I think you got sent back down to triple a in Tacoma. Um, but my understanding is somewhere along the line there, you, your, your final pitch as a major leaguer, um, you were pitching in there, Boston, you're pitching in Boston. Uh, I'm a big Boston fan, by the way, but, uh, you were pitching in Boston in Fenway against, uh, Jim Rice in the 12th inning and you give up a grand slam in the 12th inning against Jim Rice. Do you remember that moment and what that was like? No, not, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, this was 1984. Uh, 83, I finished year in the big leagues, 83. 80, in fact, 84, you know, I went, to, I was on the roster, had a good spring training. And the manager, Steve Boros, called me and said, you know, you're having a great spring training. We're going to send you down because they, they rule five, the guy that they didn't want to lose. So they kept him up there. I mean, didn't, he basically said, you deserve to be here, but we're going to keep this kid, which didn't make me real happy. So I got sent down they got, and I got called back up. And I was mostly just a, uh, you know, a late, I mean, a, a, a mop-up guy, basically. Mm -hmm. And so the game I got into Boston, it was the 4th of July. And I didn't know it was going to be my last game at the time, obviously. But I came in the game in the seventh inning to face Bill Buckner, who was one of my favorite Dodgers when I was in college. And so I got him out, pitched the uh, eighth and ninth, and I think it was the eleventh inning was Grand Slam. So I pitched, I pitched good. I pitched into the tenth, and it's still tied up. We had the bases loaded, one out, and the manager says, "If we score a run, our closer's in." I said, "Great." Next pitch, double play. Mm -hmm. So I got to go, go back out and gave up a hit, and then uh, they they sacked in the second. In fact, a hit was a line drive off the off the Green Monster, and they made it a single. <laughs> and uh, and so Joe Morgan was our second baseman, and they sacked they sacked him the second. I pick it up, throw it to Joe Morgan at first, right? It just hits his glove, and he drops it. So now it's first and second. Nobody out. Glenn Hoffman, who I later worked with with the Dodgers and the Padres, he bunts in the second and third. 
we walked Dwight Evans intentionally to get the Jim Rice. And I get, you know, I get behind two ones. I throw a fastball away and he hits one to right center. And I knew right away the game was over. I'm just saying, just stay in the park. So only one run counts instead of four. And, you know, the short, the short bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Stanley, the the reliever, caught it in his hat right, I mean, just right off over the wall. Oh, so, I mean, it's only, it's not that far. No, it was a high, it was high and just, just cleared it. And so. You know, so I got that going for me. My last pitch in the big league was Grand Slam. And and so once he once he got to the Hall of Fame, I go, well, at least I gave it up to the Hall of Famer. And, and the, the you know, funny part of the story is probably 83, 90, maybe 20 years later or 18 years later, I'm coaching in in Connecticut and Bob Stanley's coaching in Binghamton, New York. Introduced myself and I, I told him, I said, You caught my last pitch in the big leagues. He looked at me like, What the heck are you talking about? And I explained the whole thing to him and he just started laughing. <laughs> so another, another another five years go by. He's with the Giants now, and I'm now with the Phillies, and I, and we're in Connecticut. And I'm walking in for BP, and all of a sudden I can see he sees me, and he starts tapping this guy behind the turtle, tell, and you can see he's telling the whole story again. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know Fenway is relentless when it comes to it. It must have been clearly rocking on that and you just probably yeah. it's like okay I, I gotta get out of here <laughs> and and the thing and you know like i said i didn't know it would be my last game we, we finished a road trip in milwaukee and and then they uh they sent me down after right before the all-star break and i never never got a chance to get back up there and you know i like i said the one thing i took away i could compete there would i like to get more time up there no question about it but mm-hmm. i'm thankful for the time i did have but you i mean clearly you know, with the experience that you had, you you got to face some Hall of Fame talent. Any way you look at it, not a lot of people can say that they got to face Hall of Famers. Um, what what one player that you faced pitching um, that you really enjoyed, like facing? Well, Reggie Reggie was fun. In fact, I had to get my first game against Reggie. The uh... It was a day game in, in Anaheim. And, you know, the our dugout was the first base dugout, but the bullpen was in left field. So I got done warming up, and I'm walking behind home plate, and he's talking to somebody by the dugout, and all of a sudden he yells at me, he goes, hey. He goes, take it easy on me. I'm 38 years old. It's a day game after a night game. Take it easy on me. And I, and I went – I did. I, I just didn't respond. I'm going, oh, this is Reggie Jackson time. And I, I got back to the dugout and I go, if I didn't quick enough, I'd have said, hey, I'm a 28 year old rookie. You know, you take it easy on me. But, but yeah, he was, he was. Uh, and then another one that, that's a Hall of Famer that, that is, I'll always remember is Robin Yount, mm-hmm. who, but that was my second complete game where I, I, I beat the, beat the Brewers. They had, that was Harvey's wall bangers back then. They, I mean, Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, Cecil Cooper, uh, Ben Ogilvy, Ted Simmons, who's Hall of Famer now. But I, I, he went 0 for 4 off me. Yeah, but he hit a line drive to second, hit one off, hit one right in front of the 390 sign in, in center field. And, and I took it as a compliment and maybe the best quotes. But they, so he said after the game, he goes, he's easy to hit. He just gets you out. Yeah. And so I, took that, I took that as a, as a compliment. <laughs> That's a good compliment. Um, what was your favorite, like as a player, what was your favorite uh, stadium to play in? Um, again, just, just being a lifetime, almost lifetime minor leaguer, just being up there, but I, I've got to say 
to say I pitched in Fenway and Yankee Stadium is is you know really cool and it had some character. The nicest park at the time that I thought back then, '83, was probably Kansas City. It was it was a beautiful park. Um, you know, Oakland's the same park it is today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the only the only good thing about Oakland is we always said, you know, if you you pitch there a whole year, that you you could probably put two or three at least two or three innings of scoreless ball that would have been foul balls in the stands because there's so much room in foul territory that you, you, you got some outs there, but the, but other than that, it was, I mean, it, it was bad back then and you can, you know, that's why they want to get out of there. Mm-hmm. So you make it, you, you transition from a player to a coach. How, what was that transition like for you? Make going from a player to a coach at that point. Um, it was unexpected. I never really thought about really coaching and, and Charlie Manuel was my manager in 85, my last manager, 85, 86 with the twins. And at that time, in fact, that year in 86, Billy Bean was our right fielder, the, the money ball guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and Charlie was my manager at the end of the year. Cause at that time, the twins had no pitching coaches in a ball or double A. It, it was just a manager back then. That's the manager did everything. And so he asked me after the season, he goes, would you be interested in coaching? And I'm like, wait, are you telling me I can't pitch anymore? He goes, and he started laughing. He goes, no, I'm just saying, if you want to, I, I put your name in. I think you, you know, you can do it. So I thought about it. And for me, if I was going to play, I would have to go to play winter ball, which I had a job lined up in Dominican. And I also had an offer to go coach and play in Australia. And so I had to decide whether I wanted to get into coaching or or keep playing and from the from the cross-country trip from Toledo to California I decided we decided to go try coaching it was in California I was living in California at the time if I didn't like it then we'll I'll get on the rest of my life and and the the, tra- the transition was it was easier because I once I made that commitment I knew I never once afterwards go should you know I think I could still pitch which I thought I probably thought I could but I made that mm-hmm. I made that decision um the hardest part was throwing BP without a catcher because I'd, I'd never done it before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but I did enjoy right away. And that's what kind of has kept me in it. I did enjoy working with the players and, and trying, trying to get the most out of each pitcher's ability. And, and, and I'm a big believer in, you know, I, cause I've had coaches in my lifetime that were the opposite. I don't think there's many today, but I've always believed that if I have 12 pitchers, you know, 12 pitchers don't adjust to me. I adjust each individual pitcher and find out what it takes to get that guy better. It might, it might be 12 different approaches, mm-hmm. but that's, that's a challenge. And that's a fun part about it that I really, really like. Did you have a hard time? Like, obviously you were coaching, but then that you still had that player mentality. Did you have a little bit of like separation problems between like, okay, I was a, I'm a former ball player and I remember what it was like being that player and now I'm a coach. So I have to look at this from a different lens. Did you have a, like a little bit of a transition yeah, uh, time the, frame for you? Maybe in the beginning, but to this day, and it's been 40 years. I, when I forget what it was like to be out there, good and bad, it's time for me to get out. And, and I think that that approach, you know, it's not that easy <laughs> pitching base. The game isn't that easy. It's based on failure. Pitching isn't easy. If it was that easy, 
they wouldn't be giving somebody $40 million a year to do it because everybody mm-hmm. could do it. And yeah. so there is definitely um, a mindset that you have to have short-term memory and you have to uh, believe you're good, even if it means you're, you know, you're getting your butt handed to you. You just, okay, it's, it's over with. Now I got to worry about it next time. But the transition from, from player to coach, I think, wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be, but I think I, th- I tried to use it to my advantage to where I, I was, I was close to still playing where I could relate to things to these young players. Mm-hmm. Well, you start off what in the California league with the Vasilla Oaks um, from 87 ish to 89. And that's where the, the, the twins won in 87, the world series. Um, and I know we talked about the world series ring and then in 90, you move over with the still within the Twins farm system. You move over to the Orlando Suns in the Southern League. Um, looks like that year you guys made it to the to the finals in in ninety. Um, talk to me a little bit about that particular team and you know how what that team was like for you. Well, uh, Ron Gardner was manager, and Gardner and I, you know, we've known each other, but we played against each other, and it was. It was a fun year, and, the, and then you look back on it, and then these are names you know you might not even know because you're young. But I mean, they're I mean, we had pitching wise, we had uh, Denny Nagel who pitched a lot of years in the big leagues. Yep, doing uh, it, Danny Nagel. Yep, Willie, Willie Banks pitched in the big leagues. Richard Garces was a big reliever with Boston. Um, Pat Mahomes, who I, I coached Pat Mahomes, that's his son, the quarterback mm-hmm. for the, the team. Yep. We, I coached him for three years. Scott Erickson, who who had a really good major league career. Yep. Uh, Jeff Rebelay was a shortstop, had a good big league career. Chuck Knobloch was second base. Oh, wow. Jarvis, yeah. Jarvis Brown got to the big leagues. Lenny Webster got to the big leagues. Sean Gilbert got to the big leagues. So we had a lot of guys that, uh, Willie Banks, another pitcher, we had a lot of guys that, that made it to the big leagues off that team. And we went to the uh, the fifth, and it was a best of five series, and we lost to the Royals double-A team in the fifth game. But it was, we had a, we had a really good, we had a really good team. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've noticed about, single a and double a that's where you get they know a lot some players they jump from double a to you know if they're good enough double a to the majors and even there are a couple who went from high a to the majors most notably recently julio rodriguez for example Mm -hmm. made that jump this year Uh, there's a i mean you just explained it there's a lot of really good talent um not just america not just from america but there's also um, you know, international players too. So were, were there any inter- really good international players on that team at that time? Um, let me think about that. Not on that team. Well, Richard Garces from Venezuela. I mean, he got the big leagues fast. He had he had a, he had a really nice career. Uh, player wise, I don't think I can't remember that year in ninety of them being being uh, position position player wise. I know in in uh, when I coached in Portland in 91, I know Sammy Sosa was in, in Vancouver with the White Sox, mm-hmm. but it wasn't there. The, the Latin player wasn't as, uh, I mean, there it's so many today. And I mean, when I was with the Padres for the last seven years, I, I was probably went to Dominican 35 times and, and got to know a lot of those guys and, and the talent not just the talent, but the uh, the work ethic of trying to get off, you know, trying to get off the island, basically, 
Mm-hmm. And they're, they're really passionate. I, you, you know, you go and you don't see it that much in the States anymore, but you just drive, you know, going to the stadium, you just see parks all over where little kids are playing baseball. I mean, they're yeah. just pickup games. And that's what I did when I was a kid. And of course, there were no video games. And so, mm-hmm. so you know, we had to go out and play. Yeah, same here. Um, I guess my, my my kind of follow-on question to that is is like, what what for you? What was the biggest difference that you could see between the international players and the American players? Um, you know, especially in the last few years, for me, um, the, the the Latin players are. I don't want to say I don't think hungry is the right word, but they it's a different today. I mean, the, you know, when I played, there was no travel ball. There was no, uh, um, you know, what do they call it? The uh, prospect camps, the, uh, showcases, there are no mm-hmm. showcases. And, and to me watching these, these kids and get to see them close up at, at the, at the academies there, they, they just want a chance in there and they just, they'll do anything they can to get themselves better. Not that the Americans don't, but I just think there's, there's, uh, there is a, there is a little difference, and there's a lot there's a lot of great uh, kids from over here that have that work ethic. But there's some, especially the young ones, that you know. I always said that you know the first time they come in, I tell these guys, you know, there's there there's two types of players: those that are humble, and those that are about to be humble. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's the way it is in this game, no matter how yeah. good you are. Yeah. Now, I know there's a little bit more um, that we could. Well, a lot more that we could discuss about, you know, your, your coaching in the minors. Um, but I know we're running up, uh, running up on our time here. And, and before we end, I really want to, I want to take some time and I want to devote it to Nanaimo because you're the, you're the supposed to have been last year, but the season got delayed for Canada. Um, but I want to talk about Nanaimo now, and I want to make that transition into Nanaimo for you for coaching. Um, my first question is why Nanaimo? Like, why, why, why coach for them? Because they asked me. Uh, <laughs> first, you know, a friend of mine who was a scouting director with the uh, Phillies when I was when I was a coordinator when I was pitching coordinator, uh, Marty Wolover, who. Now he's now with the Cubs, but he's also with Detroit. At the same time, Jim was doing he doing some some uh, part time scouting for Detroit. And so I was talking to Marty during during the pandemic, um, and this is right after this is probably the Padres let me know in twenty at the end of twenty twenty when my contract ran out in October that they weren't going to bring us back a bunch of us back. And so I was talking to Marty, and he goes, "Well, you know, there's this." he brought up Jim's name. He goes, there's this town up there up in Canada. It's, I think you, you, you know, you do great up there. And he gave me Jim's number and I called Jim and told him that Marty, you know, told me to give you a call. And we talked for a while and they, they didn't have anything because he had a pitching coach, but we had a real nice talk. And we had, you know, like his wife's from Saskatchewan. Uh, Jim went to Saskatoon. My wife's from Saskatchewan. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm half Canadian, but, uh, <laughs> but Nothing was available. He goes, I'll, I'll, I'll ask around Lee. And then uh, a couple weeks later, he called. This is after the first year. He said that their pitching coach was going to go, took a job I, somewhere else in Tennessee or somewhere. And he goes, would you want to do the job here? I, I said, sure. And uh, it's a good opportunity for 
you know, I, like I said, I started, you know, playing in Canada in 73 and coming full circle 50, almost 50 years later to, uh, to coach in Nanaimo. And I knew, I mean, you know, I knew of Nanaimo because my, my wife, you know, we got married in 94 and she was making Nanaimo bars back then. So I knew what the Nanaimo bar was anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'd spent a lot of, you know, a lot of my summers in Canada. So it just, it, it sounded like a fun plus, plus the fact that there's a bunch of teams that are close to Portland where my, my grandsons are, my, 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 uh, my oldest grandson's seven, my son-in-law is six, seven, I'm six, four. This kid's already, you know, seven years old. He's towers over everybody, left-handed pitcher, plays bat. I mean, really athletic. So the fact that he can, last time he saw me in uniform, he was four. So now it's seven. He'll be able to, uh, maybe appreciate it a little more and mm-hmm. uh, but the bottom line was was I, I still enjoy working with the young young players uh I would like to think I could still relate to them and and get through to them as long as we don't talk about music we'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> and and uh but it's, it's it's gonna be a challenge I've you know I've got a chance to uh talk with Greg quite a bit and then my daughter got married in uh in Clearwater Beach a couple weeks ago because we had so many spring trainings there. She's a teacher in New York. And Greg was about an hour and a half from there. We, we had lunch our last day there. So we got a chance to talk, see, meet each other in person. And so I'm looking forward to working with him. And, uh, and then the, the, our new coach, Sean Fitzgerald, who I'm looking forward to, uh, to uh, work with him. I've talked to him a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's the challenge of it. And, and we'll see at the end of the year. I mean, it, you know, if it, if they like what I do, if I, I mean, I, I'm not worried about not liking what I'm doing. Uh, not, I know there's gonna be some nice long bus rides. Yeah. <laughs> but in career, I probably log enough bus miles, to go to the moon and back. So are you going to be the crash Davis of the team? Bring your, <laughs> bring your guitar. <laughs> be, be crash, crash Davis's grandfather. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been to the show. <laughs> um, what do you What are you looking forward most to uh, this upcoming season with the Night Owls? Um, you know, for me, probably just getting back on the field. It's been well the last close to twenty years. I've basically been a, a coordinator, which, especially for the Phillies, my job was to go around all the minor leaguers, all the minor league teams and evaluate the coaches and evaluate the pitchers set up spring training uh be the go-between between the uh, pitching big league pitching coach and what the needs are and what we have available working with the farm director it was a great job i loved it and i got to come home every couple of weeks but i hadn't i haven't had you know my set of pitching i haven't had a pitching staff on my own for a long time and i'm looking forward to that challenge of doing that um that's that's the biggest part and just getting involved in the game again and seeing seeing if what i've i've learned and what i feel like i've i mean i, I you never i mean i feel like i've i'm done learning every time to get out and i'm constantly you know i mean we, we got certified in rap soto that year of the pandemic and then when i was going to apply it and use it a lot they didn't bring me back so i didn't get a chance to really do it uh on the field much but i'm looking for you know and i, I understand the analytics i understand spin rate you know back then you know we used to say when a guy had late life in the zone that was that was that translates spin rate because we didn't mm-hmm. we didn't know any better it was just the ball looked like it did something at the end and 
We use our eyes to tell us that. But with with the technology today, the biggest thing with technology today is, you know, before you used to used to you know thirty years ago, I think you're doing this. Where now with with the with the you know the things we have, technology we have, we can point it out. No, this is what you're doing, and and so that part of it is will be will be good. And I'm sure some of these kids will know a lot more than I know about some of that stuff. Um, I feel like my strength will be you know, the mental part and preparation part and, and in the short season with, with I'm trying to, I've been, I've been talking to a lot of their coaches. I want, I want them to know that, you know, I want to win. Greg wants to win, but I'll, I've been in development for 35 years and I just, my, you know, to make it simple, I want these guys to be, be better in August than they were when they came in, in June. And mm-hmm. if we can do that, it makes them better for their team. And I feel like we've, Regardless of what the results are, we've, we've accomplished something. What's something from, because I like to get into leadership, um, because I feel like you're you're not only teaching them the game of baseball, but you're also working on teaching them life skills. So, and I like that you just brought up that point. So what's, what's something that you hope that they take away with beyond baseball when, from you when they leave and go back to their respective schools? Well, that, you know, you can only do, you can only get the most out of your ability. You can't do more than that. I, I think one of the more common flaws of the athlete is trying to do more than they're capable of doing because we're human. I mean, that's just, that's what we do. And that's why I'm not, a, I, I, I understand the statement, but I'm not a big fan of give me 120% or give me 110%. I don't think it exists. I think that's, you know, I, I, I try to stress to the, just give me the best you got. Don't try to do more than that. Just give me the best you got. And I think if you do that and, and that goes, not just, that just doesn't mean when you, you tow the rubber, you get in the batter's box. That means, you know, getting your rest, watching, you know, having fun, but knowing what your priorities are, um, you know, doing, doing your, your work to get yourself ready for the game and, the preparation part, if we get, if, if we can look in the mirror and say, I did everything I absolutely could to be the best player I could, and that wasn't good enough, I really believe that's going to allow, but having that, that knowing that you did that, that that's going to allow you to be successful in whatever you do in your life after that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just being able to, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to do something, do the best you possibly can. Yeah. And I, I use, I use the line sometimes with these guys is, you know, when you're on the mound, give me your video game focus. Cause I've seen them. I've seen them on video games. I mean, they're locked in. Yeah. Well, we're at the date that we're recording this, which is May 11th. We are just, just under three weeks now to the inaugural game in Portland for the Nanaimo Night Owls against the Portland Pickles in the West Coast League for a three-game series, May 31st, June 1st, 2nd. Um, when are you officially reporting for duty for the night owls? Um, I'm going to try to get, we're going to drive up because we have a dog. So we can't leave the dog here. So we're going to drive up and, uh, try to get up there by the, you know, the kids, the players reporting the 28th, the ones that are, I mean, we're going to be short some players. Like I'm sure every club in the, in the league will be the same, be in the same boat. And then we're going to work out 29th and 30th. So I'm hoping to get there by the 27th and have a day to kind of get settled a little bit, work out uh, 29th, 30th. And then 
I guess we're getting on that bus real early in the morning to get on that ferry to bus over to Portland. Well, okay. while you're while you're while you're sleeping, getting ready for the game, we'll be on the bus. <laughs> yes. Well, I'd probably be working, but uh, um, that's going to be a great series. Uh, my understanding is you're going to be the head coach that series because Coach Frady, he's his daughter, I believe, is also getting married. Um, so he will not be making that first series. So you're going to be the head ball coach that series. Um, yeah. Looking forward to that. Uh, got any any bugs in this system? Any butterflies? Like, you excited um, about it? I'm excited about it. I haven't really – I can't say I really had any butterflies yet. Probably will when we get, we get there. But, um, you know, there's – there's. I'm sure there's going to be, be some guys uh, – you know, I look at the number and I look at – okay uh, – so it's okay. You go. You go play because it's going to be. You know, it's, and that's that's one of my big goals in these next ten days. And then, I mean, I'm going to try to have pictures and names put them on here. But I want I, by at least by the time we are done with that series, if not sooner, to be able to know everybody's name and put the face with the name. And and you know, because I've talked to a bunch of guys now, I've talked to a bunch of coaches. Because I think that that that. Uh, that relationship you have between them. I think, you know, our job is to get the most out of their ability. And to do that, I think for a player, they got to be relaxed and, and comfortable. And I, that's, that's what I'm going to try to do. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, for those players that, that might listen to this, that are going to be there with you, um, what are, what are some words that you could share with them ahead of time? So that way they can take that, take whatever into going into that first series with them that you want them to know. No, I really haven't thought about that. But I think what the one thing would be just, you know, the pitchers attack the zone. Don't be afraid of contact. Position players show up for every pitch. Show up for every single pitch. If uh, if we can do that, I'll take my chances. I mean, I you know, if you look at it, if I got the seven guys behind me and, you know, it takes probably – from the time that the pitcher gets his delivery to the, the 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 fielder being ready to field the pitch, it's probably three to second, three to four seconds. So it's three seconds, you know, times a hundred is three hundred. That's what that's that's five minutes. I'm asking them to concentrate, to show up for every single pitch. Be be a be have that attitude that no, I don't care what happened to your bat, but have that attitude that ball is being hit to me. Anticipate that ball being hit to you. And if I get guys, if I get everybody doing that, then like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll take our chances. Excellent. Well, Coach, I look forward to uh, being able to meet you in person there at the end of May, beginning of June. Um, it'll, be, it'll be great. Uh, and I also look forward to uh, being there and uh, experiencing the Nanaimo Bars slash Owls opening series. And so thankful for you having taken your time on this inning of Cobalt to spend with us so that way we get to know you better as an individual. So I appreciate that. Thank you. And I appreciate the, uh, you know, you asking me and I also appreciate it's obvious you did your homework and that's, that's, that's nice. I mean, it makes it, it makes it easy, easier for me to answer questions because I know that you've, you've taken the time to, you know, to, to put some work into it. And I appreciate that. And, just don't mess up at first base. That's all I can say. <laughs> no, we'll have some fun. We'll have a lot of fun. And, and, you know, I like to have fun. I, I'm not a, uh, 
You know, I mean, I, it takes, you know, I got that, I can get, I get that German temper every once in a while, but I, I'm pretty, pretty easy going as long as you guys, as long as they go out there and play the game the right way mm-hmm. and play the game the right way, play hard and get beat. We'll get in tomorrow. Excellent. Well, thank you again, coach, for joining us. Corbin Hayriller, awesome episode, awesome inning of Cobol. Uh, that'll do it for this inning of Cobol. However, we are not done yet. We will be back with yet another extra inning of Cobol and more extra innings ahead. So thank you for wherever you are at. Thank you for listening to Cobalt and making this an amazing series. You have yourself a great day and peace out.